Hey, good evening, friends and family. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and this is the point in the program tonight where we are going to do a scriptural dive, where we take our stories and try to reroute them in our ancestors' story, the scriptural story, in hopes that we might be able to walk away with some form of encouragement, empowerment, um, challenge, the reminder that you are loved, that you are enough, that you are chosen. For us here in this community, at least in this particular stretch of time, we do this, this part, we do it by being led by the lectionary. It's a calendar of sorts, and we love the calendars. Calendars have power. I, I know that in this season, that might feel like a stretch for some of you because I know that calendars can also be somewhat of a stress. But for us, we like to think of calendars as almost these sacramental things that offer us sobriety in a way that few things actually can. I mean, just consider in your life the different anniversaries or birthdays that you have. We, we don't love one another more on these days, we're reminded of the love that we've always had for that person on those days. And so calendars have weight. And I bring all that up to say that this is the week of Epiphany. That is a significant moment in the church calendar. Since the church's inception, we have moved through like this spiritual biorhythm of sorts where we have paused to be reminded that this is why we do what we do. This is, this is how the Son of Love was revealed to us, and these are the implications of said revelation. Epiphany, which comes from the Greek word epiphania, it means the revelation. It means the light cracking open. It is the season that follows Christmas and the season that precedes Easter. And epiphany really is this sense where if, if, if Christmas is when we gather as a church to celebrate how Christ first came, epiphany is where we gather as a church to celebrate how Christ still comes. And again, we, we are following the lectionary to do this. And the lectionary texts for this week, they are all uh, epiphania e. They all have the revelatory stories embedded inside of them. If you're not familiar with the, the lectionary, the lectionary is a calendar that offers you four different scriptural sources for you to dive into each particular week. And we do that. There's a, a text from the Torah, a text from the prophets or the Psalms, a text from the Gospels, and a text from the Epistles. When I was looking at these different stories, initially I was drawn to Acts 19 and the revelation involved inside of that. I, I wanted to bring us close in on that conversation between Paul and Apollos because I think there's some beautiful things happening there, but I couldn't practice enough restraint to keep us away from Mark 4 or Mark 1 where the story of Jesus going into the river of Jordan with his cousin John and we watch as the son of love has a dove descending upon his head and he's told that he's enough. That is my favorite scene in all of scripture, and I could stay there every week and be perfectly fine. But then I started reading some Leonard Cohen poetry earlier in this week, which pulled me actually away from Mark and into the Psalms, where we went to Psalm 29. And I've never preached on a Psalm, and so I didn't have a lot of juice about the Psalm going into it, but I was actually kind of blown away by what was in there. I love the imagery that was being provided in, by this poet in the Psalm 29, where he's talking about when the Lord speaks a word, the oak trees would all bend and the forests would be stripped bare. When the Lord speaks a word, the, the earth would respond with thunderous uh, praise and adoration. The forests would be stripped bare. That's where, as of Tuesday night, I wanted to take us. That's where I wanted us to go. But we're not going to go there now. We cannot look at the earth through the eyes of Psalm 29 tonight after looking at the earth through our own eyes yesterday afternoon. It's Thursday today. Yesterday was January 6th. Yesterday was Wednesday afternoon. 
Yesterday is when we all sat in our own selective spaces and watched as terrorists inflicted treason upon our nation's capital. And so it's hard for me to go into this ancient poem tonight and talk about the bending of trees after spending the past 24 hours watching the bruising of our democracy, watching our country fall apart before our eyes, watching these domestic terrorists arm themselves with heavy artillery, storm up Capitol Hill and scale the Capitol building where some took over the House floor and others took over the representative's office. I don't know how to go to a psalm like that. To be honest with you, I don't really know how to do much of anything today. Like, I just feel like a bone-tired fatigue after all that went down yesterday. How are you doing? And I'm not asking that rhetorically. Put it in the chat right now. Like, what are you carrying with you this week? Obviously, again, this is Thursday. Uh, I'm assuming a lot more is still transpired before we get to Sunday. But what are you carrying with you right now? How are you holding the heaviness that, that has come your way? You know, when I think about, for me, just the past 24 hours, it, if there was one thing I think that really was a breaking thing, and maybe I should apologize for being surprised by this, but the one thing that kept us, I think, today, even just from Psalm 29 coming our way, was after spending this past summer in the streets with brothers and sisters and cousins from our beloved city of Minneapolis, and after spending the summer watching police officers in those streets not flinch once when it came to the opportunity to unleash rubber bullets or pepper spray upon us, watching the whole day yesterday as people were committing acts of war and sedition and being met with more grace and care than the black and brown bodies of our city did this past summer, people who were, who were protesting yesterday over democracy doing what it's supposed to do, compared to this past summer where there was protests over murders that unfolded, that was overwhelming. That was agonizing. That was infuriating. And so if you are angry, you should be angry. If you're not angry, you should be angry. There is a place for heartbrokenness. There is a place for sorrow. There is a place for grief. Not everything is up and to the right in the Christian church. Fidelity to Christ is not this polished hallmark card. There is some places where the scars need to be touched, the wounds need to be touched. You cannot rush to the silver lining of healing until you go to the place that hurts. We are hurting right now. Yesterday hurt like hell. We are walking with a limp uh, today. And so after saying that, maybe I, I actually, maybe we should have stayed with the psalm because the idea of the forest being stripped bare, in some ways that felt a little bit like what happened yesterday in D.C. It wasn't a forest, but it was this well-built, manicured and manufactured facade that has been insisted to us since we were little that America really does care about law and order and police and fairness, the flag, democracy, free and fair elections, the Constitution, the will of the people. Equality, police procedures, blue lives, black lives, your lives, my lives, that America cares about Americans, but yesterday it brought up some serious questions about that. Yesterday I walked away a little less sure that that facade was able to stay intact. And that's a scary thing to see. I mean, right? Because even if it is just this appearance of a flourishing forest, but it all along has always been a facade, it was still helpful to have in place. It was still helpful to give us some form of, of form and some kind of like aspirational aim together. It was helpful as it kept us from having this heaviness of having to live without a common understanding of how we are actually being held. But I don't know that I have that today. 
Instead, we have chaos, we have uncertainty, we have the stripping of the forest bare, and that is a scary thing to feel, and so I want you to feel the darkness in that, and now I want to try to offer you some light. Because while I couldn't go to the other three lectionary texts this week, I'm very grateful that the fourth one chose to come to us. The fourth option for this Sunday was written by a poet who is a part of a people that have seen their own land destroyed and their sense of a future taken away as they were chained up and taken away to Babylon, as they're thrown into the darkness of the waste in the wild, as they're covered in their grief and their pain, as they're in this place where it's like, I don't know up from down, right from wrong, I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, and I don't even know that I want to stick around to find out. It is in that place that we get this poem where a poet rises up to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That line was in my mind all day yesterday. There is no form, there is no void, there is no purpose to actually be perceived here. When you see people carrying the Confederate flag who are also simultaneously calling other people traitors, there is no form. When you see police being beaten by people who are using a Blue Lives Matter flag as a weapon, there is no purpose to be perceived. When you see our representatives endorse or try to make the madness that, we, that went down somehow palatable and acceptable and an, and a, an okay way to protest, on an, on an okay grounds to do the protesting, there is no form. There is no purpose to be perceived. It is, as the ancients would call it, in the Hebrew word we get here, is tohu wabohu. Go ahead, say it. It's kind of actually fun to say. It might bring you some comedic relief just saying it in the living room right now. I know this is starting off dark and intense and heavy, but tohu wabohu. You know, even when you say it out loud, you can feel kind of those consonants swirling around in your mouth looking for a place to land. It feels chaotic and unpredictable, and it should because it's trying to describe the places in our lives that are. Tohu wabohu is chaos in search of order. It is the noise in search of a song. It is the dust in search of a broom. It is the divide going out looking for a bridge. Tohu wabohu. The writer writes that when God laid their eyes on the earth, all that could be seen was how much none of it made sense. Just like every minute of yesterday, we laid our eyes on the earth and all that we could see and none of it made sense. It was chaos, divorced from conviction. But what we saw yesterday on earth is what God saw on the first day of earth. It's what God saw before the word before even made sense. It is taking in the lay of the land and finding no perceivable purpose inside of it. That's what happened yesterday, but, but I also want to recognize when we're talking about this word is that that happened to you prior to that. For some of you, you already saw the chaos without form, the void, long before any acts of sedition took place. Maybe some of you are looking at your career right now and you're seeing more of chaos than a particular calling, or your marriage has somehow been dried up and it's not exactly driving you forward, or your relationships that you're keeping but you don't really have a reason for doing so. Tohu wabohu. 
There's no form here, there's no aim here, it's just here. It's unseen, it's unready, it's chaos and vacancy, waste and wild. It is a mess with no particular meaning attached, it's just here. And if I don't see why it should be here, if it's all just darkness over me, then that kind of darkness goes beyond the lights turning off, it goes into the deep parts of who I am. I might be in a well-lit room, but the tohu babohu kind of darkness, I still feel like I'm caught up in the thick of it. The poet says that at the start of all of our stories, God saw what we once, God saw what we can now see, and instead of stopping and running from the dark in that moment, God instead chooses to speak. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, which... I don't know, on one level that feels like a nice warm blanket, but if I'm honest with you, it also feels like kind of hot air. Because it's still dark for us. So speak all you want, God, but I'm, it's still like, it's dark still. We're still in the thick of a storm. We're still stuck in this dry place. Even if I abide by every religious impulse in me and do the obligatory amen here and say, thank God for speaking light into my dark, all those things, like maybe I should do that, but it's not gonna change the fact that I'm in a dimly lit room and I don't know how to change the dial. But what's fascinating for me about this text, and I hope it's encouraging to you, is that the darkness that we are feeling right now, that was still present even after God spoke. Hear me on this. In the story that tells, uh, the poet tries to tell of how creation came to be, God says, let there be light and there is light. But also hear that there is also no sun. There is no moon that has been created. There are no stars. There are no comets. But there is light. In the story that tells of the creation of the earth, the sun and the stars and the moon, they actually don't step onto the scene until day four. There should be no light until those lights are here, and yet the poet insists that there is a light that has come in even before the sun has chosen to come up. And I would like to know if you guys have seen it. Do we believe as a people that there is something to be seen in the darkness that is just as real as the darkness that we see? When John starts his gospel, he writes his story, when he says with this poem in mind, he writes that in him, being Jesus, the word that became flesh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot touch it. It cannot overcome it. And so there's something that is happening here when we talk about light that is consistent from the start, that we see inside the Savior, and that is here for our accessibility right now. So can you see it? Can you perceive it? Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, he says, there are treasures in the darkness. Go and be the people who pick them up. Do you perceive the light before the sun comes out? Do you perceive the gifts that are here prior to the gifts even arriving? Do we trust that there are actually treasures here in the darkness? Because we need a people who do. We need a people who are refusing to be comfortable in the darkness, but are committed to a light that came in even before the sun came up. Who insist that even in this place, even in Babylon, even on January 7th, 2021, we are going to speak to the dry bones in this land like our father Elijah taught us to do, and we're going to expect that they're going to get up and walk. 
that where we are is not where we stop, but that we are starting in the dark just as it always is. You heard the text. Genesis 1 says that there was evening and then there was day, the first day. What does that tell you? That contrary to our understanding of how days tend to function, the start is always happening at night. The new is always happening at night. The dark is always the womb that is giving birth to our best days tomorrow. And so, yes, I'm pissed off and I'm hurt and I'm so tired and I'm angry. And I hope you are too. But I also hope that we as a people are not going to let this darkness go to waste. That we are going to understand that there are treasures here that you and I need to pick up. If the church is to be some manifestation of hope in the world, if the church is to actually embody and not just express good news, if we're going to follow the son of love and live our stories as lovers, you got to pick up those treasures in the dark. What does the light look like right now for you? Where are you seeing the darkness get cracked open just a little bit? I mean that both collectively for us as a community, us as a country, but also you personally. Let me close just with one um, practice that I know we've talked about before, but I think it is helpful to remind you all the same. The practice of examining, it's been happening forever in the church, and it is one of the most powerful things that I think we can actually do. And it's this, at the end of every night, you take out your diary, your journal, a piece of paper, something like that, a notebook, and when you get into bed, before you close your eyes, before you binge the next Netflix show, ask yourself these two questions. In the moments from when I got out of bed until this moment here when I got back in, where did I see the light coming in? Where did I feel more alive? Where did I catch that, that whiff of fresh air? Answer that question. Write it down. And then ask this question afterwards. And where did the darkness get a hold of me? Where did I feel more drained than I probably should have? Where did I feel this life sapping out of me, even though I was doing nothing that should have been sapping anything out of me? Where was the light and where was the dark? Over time, you'll notice a pattern, and that it is on you and it is on us to be able to separate the light from the darkness, living according to the light. Friends, there are treasures here in the dark. We cannot apathetically stumble forward. We actually have to pursue with a particular aim. And in doing so, we will walk in the light and bring light to others. You are loved so much. We'll see you soon. Like Matt was saying, we film on Thursdays. So yesterday was Wednesday, January 6th. It was a really hard day. It was a dark day. It was a day that many of us felt uh, sad and angry and filled with disbelief. Matt and I had a chance to be on a call last night, a nationwide call of clergy and clergy-like folk. There were a thousand people on that call. And they talked about the things that you would anticipate we'd be talking about, about as people of faith, peace and unity. But one of the people speaking talked about divine rage. Divine rage and anger that's to be used to engage and activate because we are the people of God. We are the people that are called to bring light into the darkness. Like Matt talked about in his message, let there be light. That light moves through us. And that light is in the God that we follow. And every Sunday night when we gather together, we celebrate that light that we know through the person 
of Jesus. Jesus sat at a table the night before he died, the night before darkness, and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup, and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So in this moment, friends, this moment that feels really dark and really heavy, we do that. We take the bread and we dip it in the cup and we remember light. The light we know in the God that we follow, the light we know in this community. So let's step forward into that light together. Let's hang on to that light as we move forward to bring the kingdom of God here. So as you take that bread, hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. And as you take from the cup, hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship together.